Hey everybody, Mike here. So glad you're with us. Thanks for tuning in to the Vox Podcast. Uh, we've got a special guest today, Kevin Number Two. You might remember um, is a, uh, a native of suburban Columbus, Ohio. And aren't you? Aren't you from here? No, I'm a native Ohioan from Toledo, which is even worse. Let's just be honest. Totally agree. Absolutely. <laughs> That's why I live in. But Columbus. you went to Ohio State. Yep, Buckeye. And um, now you sell Crimson Cup, which is appropriately headquartered in Columbus because because I work here, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> but but it's also crimson, like scarlet and gray. It's kind of like a I Not, don't know. Yes, absolutely. Something. Like Why is that. it called Crimson Crimson Cup? Do you really care? Are you going to cut me off or should I, I no, answer I, it? I genuinely okay. care. Crimson is the color of a coffee cherry when it's picked from the tree when it's ripe and ready to be picked. It is crimson in color, so okay. therefore, crimson cup. Okay, there it yep. is. Ladies yep. and gentlemen, you Ladies heard it here first. I had no idea. Yep. And your best-selling roast is? Best-selling roast is Armando's Blend. Again, you don't care. Why is it named after Armando? Because Armando <laughs> was part of creating it. He's the man. Who is Armando? He's a guy that used to work at Crimson Cup. <laughs> okay, so... It's Armando's blend. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. He probably has other blends then. He has lots of blends, I'm okay. sure. But this is yeah. Crimson Cup, Armando's blend. Yep, that's, okay. that's the number one and this seller. Is, and this is, Crimson Cup is an international operation, correct? International. That is true. 39 yes. states, uh, multiple countries. That's international. Yeah, all over the place. Yes. Kind yep. of like the Vox podcast. Uh, definitely not even close to the size of the Vox podcast. Right. We we would yeah we're we're not the Crimson podcast for loads of reasons but because that because Crimson Tide Alabama like as Buckeyes we're not huge fans of Crimson normally as a color unless it represents coffee in which case we're big fans of right Crimson well, evidently this will come full circle I've been in the South a lot yeah selling coffee yes and people's eyes light up because they think it's Crimson Tide oh and see. I just kind of have to like yep. bite my tongue and yep. just smile that's it and that's right and just let them think say, that let them think that guys yeah. let them think that yep whatever it takes so Kevin uh is in studio today uh and, and we want to talk it's been kind of a dark week in the life of the church in America um it it, it seems like just more and more stuff keeps coming out and it's hard not to comment on a lot of it so what I want to do is I, I, there's some headlines that, that hit my Twitter feed. Um, they, there was a massive report um, detailing accusations that Catholic priests had abused sexually more than 1,000 children since the 1940s. So this is in Pennsylvania. And, um, and, and, and the thing that was so unbelievable was that the cover-up that, that was done. It wasn't like the abuse is horrific enough. But it was how uh, priests were moved to other parishes, knowing they were pedophiles. I mean, it was it's it's like it's vomit-inducing how horrible that is, and um, and so that report came out. And then you've got oh, hold on, we've got a phone call. Oh, we're going to decline. Um, sorry, sorry, Carl, I, I can't talk right now. <laughs> now, uh, lest you think. Um, the Catholic Church has a monopoly on idiocy and, you know, corruption. Um, you know, obviously there's been this huge fallout from a church called Willow Creek and, um, and kind of all that it represents in the leadership space. 
Uh, but John MacArthur was in the news, his master seminary. This is a, a very well-known person in uh, California. He's, he's got like, he's been a big name for years and years and years. Uh, he and I would not agree on much other than Jesus is awesome. Um, but <laughs> his master's university and seminary, all right, are, it's uh, under academic probation from whatever accrediting institution um, it receives from. Reasons cited include too many board members under the president's authority <laughs> in other areas, a culture of intimidation, fear, and bullying, lack of operational integrity, and more, which is awesome. Um, uh, I've read of two separate pastors who had uh, moral failures this week, and at least that, that came public. Um, found out that Willow Creek paid $3.5 million in lawsuits uh, over the sex abuse of two developmentally disabled boys. I know. And as the parent of a developmentally disabled boy, I mean, that just is horrifying. So, um, yeah, evidently there were two payments made to, to two families um, that were settled because of sexual abuse. I mean, and, 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 you know, and I'm just highlighting like some of the big stuff that came across Twitter today or Twitter this week. And, and I, and I say, uh, I say it, I bring it up because th this was juxtaposed <laughs> with an article that came out about how do you, how you can tell whether or not your church is mediocre. Okay. And so what I want to do is again, I don't, I mean, I'm not bashing anything here. I just think it's so funny that, that, in a in a week where all of this darkness and like, like, like this purging um, and bringing to light all this stuff in the church, money, sex, and power in the church. Uh, and then we, we, there's this article making the rounds about how to know if your church is mediocre. Okay. So what I want to do is I want to go through the article and, and ask, is this really the issue that needs to be addressed in light of all of these other scandals? Okay. So here we go. All right. All right. So I'm going to, I'm just going to read a lot of the article because it's, it's beautiful. Um, one of the problems many churches face these days is that they're neither great at things or terrible at things. They're honestly just mediocre. Facebook live has made watching other churches services easier than ever. And as I've scrolled through my Sunday morning feed or visited different churches over the years, I've been amazed at what I've seen. Unfortunately, there's a lot of mediocrity out there, my friend. I want you to know that. Um, that probably sounds judgmental. Yeah. And I'm sorry for how it feels. No, it doesn't feel that way. It is that way. But there's a lot at stake here. When your church is mediocre, it should be no surprise unchurched people aren't lining up to join you and that you're not attracting and keeping the amazing leaders who might attend your church but don't want to get involved because things are so subpar. And don't be discouraged. Every leader of every church can be great at something regardless of size, budget, or location. So it's not a question of being a large church or having a million dollars. It's a question of discovering what you can do well, how you can best express the mission of the church at the local level. Now, evidently, his assumption is the best way to express the mission of the church at the local level is to have really excellent weekend services. That's going to be his argument. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So how do you know your church is mediocre, Kevin? Here are seven signs. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Kevin doesn't know these, although Kevin has lived these. <laughs> I don't know. Why are you true. laughing? <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. The big number one. 
You have non-singer singing and bad players playing in your worship band. Okay. Yep. All right. One sure sign you've settled for mediocrity is that on your music team, you have non-singer singing and bad players playing. We've all seen this happen. Singers are regularly off-key or flat. Um, musicians are struggling to keep up with chord changes or you can't quite get the rhythm right, all while being glued to their music stands. And the only people who seem to be enjoying it are the people on the music team. Everyone else is wincing or zoned out or has become so used to it they're now part of the problem. Too many church music teams let non-singers sing and bad players play. Why does this happen, Kevin? Too many church leaders value inclusion over gifting. Exactly right. Right? Bad. Um... You, you ask a few questions, you hear things like, well, they really wanted to sing, or she really loves the keyboard, or he's so passionate about music, except, Kevin, they don't have the talent to match their enthusiasm. Drig a little, dig a little deeper, or he says drill, so I was going to say drig, drill plus dig equals drig, drill a little deeper, and you soon discover the people who realize there's a problem are too scared to do anything about it. Dad gummit, it's instinctively you know as a church leader you've caved into cowardice, but you just can't muster up the nerve to have the hard conversation. If you recognize this uh, yourself in this scenario, just know you have to make a choice. You can either choose the feelings of three people who can't play or choose the future and the dozens or hundreds of people you might reach if you actually improve your music. All right? Okay. Number two, bad production. And I've, I have, I will confess, I've left churches over this. Not really, not even remotely. But in addition to subpar music, Kevin, many churches settle for bad production, poor sound, poor lighting, and a mediocre team running at all. Often, this is a case of trying to do too much. You're better off having a few good tech things rather than to trying to do many things poorly. When faced with limited resources, investing in a few quality pieces always beats buying a lot of cheap pieces. Number three, how do you know if your church is mediocre? School play quality live streams. It's great to see many churches go online, many churches big and small are streaming their services, easy to do with Facebook Live. But as you go online, ask yourself, would you watch you? Honestly, I bet the answer a lot of time is no. Many churches suffer what I call the school play syndrome. Their services look and sound like an elementary school play. Not great lighting, not great production, not great sound, and a lot of sincere people who don't really know what they're doing. And let's be honest, the only reason, Kevin, and you've sat through some of these, the only reason you watch a school play is because your kids are in it. And the number one question you're asking during the school play is, when is it over? This is tragic, my friend. <laughs> if you're going to be going online, audio and video quality matter. Uh, so do you, do you disagree with this article? <laughs> I'm just, just wondering. You seem to... Uh... Maybe just tone down the sarcasm just a little bit. Okay, just okay. Just a little bit. The question I'm asking, am I helping people come to Christ by sharing this or am I keeping people from Christ by sharing this? Maybe ask a few unchurched people who will tell you the truth to evaluate your stream. Just don't cross the streams, my friend. Okay, not surprisingly, reason number four, a lame website. Guys, you know, and you know a lame website when you see one. Mm-hmm. Concurrent to that is number five, your info isn't current. You, that that one I might agree with. Okay, no, that hey. That one, I mean, hey. <laughs> let's be real. If I don't know what time your church starts, it's going to be pretty hard. Few things tell you there. a church is mediocre more than out-of-date info. I'm telling you what. Number six, you've just resigned yourself to this. You've just resigned yourself. Um, 
Maybe as you read through this post, you think there's no way out. You've resigned yourself. Don't. The surest way to ensure a mediocre future is to resign yourself to a mediocre present. I started in very small churches with not a lot of top-tier talent. I get what it's like to have to start with almost nothing. But if you focus on the best you have at the moment and bring all of that to your mission, you will create a better future, Kevin. Eventually, more and more talented people will emerge from the crowd and new people will join your mission and soon you'll be much farther ahead. Did every volunteer in our process crush it? Nope. Was every singer on key? Nope. But we did the best we could with what we had. You'll soon discover if you do the best you can with what you have, your best keeps getting better. The path to an excellent future is this. Constantly improve the average present. I also have full two, I have two full units in my Breaking 200 online course that will show you how to spot, recruit, and develop the talent that you have in your church. <laughs> And the number, number seven. Oh, I can't keep the sarcasm out of my voice. And then number seven, you're afraid to change. You just lack the courage to make the hard changes. Okay. Now, what, is there truth to this? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Have we not suffered through poorly run church services? Yes. We course. have. We have. And and do we comment on those poorly run church services? Sometimes. Yeah. That that when when they're so poorly run they're distracting. Yes. Yeah, that's an issue. Yeah. So uh, on the one hand, even though I'm I'm being sarcastic with this article, is there truth to wanting to be excellent? Well, sure. Right. Absolutely. And having gifted people in their gifts, yes. And not just putting a musician up there because they say they're a musician, but trying them out and seeing if they fit into a band. I mean, like, yes, yes. We, like having talented painters or talented poets or talented teachers. I mean, yes, we want people operating in their giftings. No, no question about it. And would you agree that we want, that we want to, in the event space, we want to make it as seamless as possible? Absolutely. So if somebody shows up to our event... Right? They're not distracted by how, how poor it is. Right. Right? Yeah. Were you going to say something else? No, I, I think, yeah, you're right. Obviously, all those things are true. Right. But, but I still, I, and, and, and the person who wrote this is a really good person. Like, I've listened to some of his stuff and I've, you know, benefited. And, but, um, <laughs> it, it, this, and again, I'm not criticizing this article. It, it's symbolic of a whole huge approach to the church that is being exposed right now. That's the issue for me. It's okay. not this guy or this article. But it's, think of the assumptions that, that are in this article. Assumption number one, if we just did better services, our churches would be better. More people would come, more people would give. We would attract top-level talent. Yep. Right? Right. That's kind of a huge assumption in this mm -hmm. thing. Um, so, so back up real quick. Okay. Do you, who do you think this article is written to? Like, what age group do you, you feel like? <laughs> is this representative of the millennial, of the of course like 30 to 40, of the older? No, this is... This is... I mean, because I don't, I don't know if I see this across the board. Right. But in a lot of churches, it, it even just to just take this article at face value to say, hey, this this is where the church is struggling. Like I just, I mean, there, I think there's so many other things going on where 
They're outsourcing web development. They're outsourcing their musicians. Right. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole market here. If you play drums, you can play drums for two hundred dollars a Sunday at every single different church in the city right, right now. Right. I just I wonder if we're almost a little bit past this. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Absol- Maybe I'm getting too far. And, and, no, no, no. I hope the- we are. Okay. I hope we. Like, what I yeah. what I want to say is, this was relevant in the '90s. Okay, that's that's what I felt. Like it, it seems like it's. <laughs> but and, his and, ministry. So so he offers a course breaking 200 people. So he's aiming at smaller church pastors, huh? Yeah, and aiming at small at smaller church pastors, and okay. and it seems that way. But but again, bro, it's not that there. This is not true. Right. It it's that. It's it is such a low priority, right? With what is happening in the freaking church universal, right? You know, I mean, hey, I mean, well, this is easy to fix. I mean, all of these well, things yes should no. be able to be fixed in a day well, if you if you want. have resources. It, so if you're small you church, things, if right? you're a small church, I mean, uh, the, like fighting some of these battles is going to feel like Mount Everest. Absolutely, we've we've only been in larger churches, right? I mean, you help although you helped plant a church that was seeking to be very very relevant, right? But my point is, those those places started with resources. If you're a church of forty people, mm-hmm. man, you're just doing whatever you can to have services. So, okay, somebody telling you, hey, your bad production means your church is 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 um, mediocre. I mean, what kind of measurement is that? Right. I mean, what? And, and he says, well, I don't even mean to be judgmental. I'm like, well, what the hell? You think Jesus Christ is standing up there saying, your church is freaking mediocre because you have bad production. Right. That's how he measures, that's how he measures success. And, and we'd all go, well, no, of course not. But that's the implication from this. Right. Guys, mediocre is bad. If you don't have top level talent. See, and I get pissed. My friend, I don't know if you noticed this or not. Yeah, it worked up. But, but I mean, think about what Paul says to the Corinthian church, okay? And, re, and, and, and think about that in light of what he's talking about in terms of attracting top-tier talent, right? And then you and I were even talking before the podcast about, hey, would you ever ask a CEO to park cars? Mm-hmm. And, and you're like, well, some people say you should never do that. Because anyone can park cars, but CEOs, I mean, they got specific gift mixes. Right. Okay, well, how about this, ma'am? Brothers and sisters, Paul writes to Corinth, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. It is because so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who have become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, let the one who boasts boast only in the Lord. All right, now, and then Paul, this is the theme of Paul's whole letter to the Corinthians. And then in the second letter, he talks about, you know, in weakness I am strong. And my point here is simply, he, he frames his story in terms of, yeah, we didn't have top level talent, but when we made it anyway, we had to overcome, right? Which is such a different way of approaching a church conversation. Think of all the poor assumptions that are in here. Mm-hmm. One, church is an event, and that's the most important expression of its mission. Two, if you make the event better, the church gets better. 
we attract more people and more people come to Jesus because of our live stream or whatever else. Three, weakness, mediocrity is to be hidden, right? So it doesn't matter if I have 14-year-old Joey in the back running sound. This kid's been homeless and a family just adopted him and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter that, that um, he's... He's incredibly important to our church context. If he's not good at what he's doing, get him the hell out of there and put someone in there that's more gifted. Right. Right? We'll find another place for him. I don't know if it's get him the hell we'll out, get him of out of there. get him out of there. Right, out of that spot. Right? Yeah. And find a, find a place. Because listen, we want to attract top tier talent. Because that's the way you run a successful church. And I'm saying that is bullshit. Absolutely. Whoa! Whoa! And utterly. Whoa! And, and I'm all for excellence, man. I've sat under poor teaching because the teacher wasn't gifted. And I'm all for people who are good at what they do. I'm not saying that is bad, okay? Not at all. I'm saying the assumptions made in this article uh, are no, no longer fit the world we live in. And they are not the best expression of the mission of Jesus. Right. So if you're sitting there and you're a small pastor, small pastor like myself, Small. <laughs> or the, the pastor of a smaller church. Like, I'm hanging out with some guys in Columbus that are pastors of 150, 200, 300 people. They don't have the resources, and they do the best they can. And if someone's going to walk into this church and compare them with the big Rock City Church in Columbus, which is, what, four or 5,000 people, and it's kind of a rock, rock show, um, they're going to lose all the time. It doesn't matter. This doesn't help them. Absolutely. This does not help them. And the scorecard he uses here is pathetic because the fruit of a church is in disciples of Jesus, right? It's not our non-believers coming. Sorry. I mean, it, this, and then, and then the biggest thing, Kevin, that offends me about this is that this, this is part of the reason why all those scandals exist, right? That model. And the assumptions tied within it about how important the celebrity pastor is, about attracting, keeping top-level talents. And, and I've argued for these things. I've done all of the things he's talked about. I have made all of those decisions, and that's why I'm disgusted with it. So I see where that road goes. Wait, you're correlating, you're putting the two together that says because the focus is on this, that it allows the other stuff to happen? Yes, Okay. I'm saying so that our preoccupation with bigness, with the event, with the Sunday morning, with, with the, the size, show, with the platform of the celebrity preacher, that whole thing allows the abuses of power that we see to happen or creates it. Right. So, so when your friends say, Hey, if, if we, if someone asks a CEO to serve in parking, like you should punch us in the gut. And, and I'm like, and, and I know what they mean. They're saying, listen, we don't, we want people to operate in their giftedness. But there's also a place in here where if a CEO isn't willing to... Oh, but so that, that wasn't my conversation. So okay. my conversation was, it was a recent example. A friend of mine, uh, very, very wealthy CEO, was asked to do parking. And he felt like the pastor was so terrified that this guy might leave if he doesn't get him involved because of the money that goes with this guy yeah, right, that's that they asked him to do the parking. So it's a little bit different where okay. it was like... And the, and the guy was like, man, like, I'm happy to do the parking lot, but I would love to be invited into 
something where I could really be helpful. Right. Such as even if it's your finances or your treasurer or whatever it might right. be. Right. So I think that was more of the conversation that I was talking about. Got it. Because I thought was... he was making a philosophical statement no, that no, said no. if you if we ever ask a CEO to do parking. No, no, no. Because I, I mean, most CEOs that I know would be more than willing to volunteer and jump in. Correct. And do what it takes. You know, whatever it takes. That's why they're successful. Right. Exactly. But is that the best use, or is it, are we creating ridiculous spaces for people to be involved in the churches? Well, yes, is, yes, I'm saying like because let's because, find listen, ways to get them involved. The like, only no, but the only imagination, and this again is assumed in the article, the only place um, where people really get involved in the church is helping is to the pull event. Off Sunday. Yes, yeah. and I've done this. I mean, I'm yes, and this is true. Right. Like when we did Vox Community, that was the thing we did. We didn't do a lot of other things. Right. So so the primary way, if you wanted to get to know everybody, was to show up on a Sunday morning and serve. Right. I have no problem with that. So I'm, I'm, I'm speaking hyperbolically right. against some of the assumptions that are made in here in light of all of the, all of the power and the greed that's sitting and being exposed in the church. And, you're, and we're sitting here all wondering, why? why? Why is this all happening? Why is this all being exposed mm-hmm. now? And, and you at least have to entertain the question that the elevation of church to service, to the weekend service, that the vast majority of the best resources go to the weekend service, because that's the horse that, that drives everything else to mix metaphors. Absolutely. Right? I mean, that, that perhaps that's part of the problem. Right. And, 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 and the reason I feel comfortable enough being upset by this is because I'm guilty of all of it. Right? I've made all of these choices. I've fired people. I've said, this person isn't good up there. We need to replace them with somebody else, not caring about where else they went. I've made all of those decisions. And I've seen where that you goes. You are a terrible person. I am. Wow. Confess. I, I am. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, so what are you doing that, though? Like, what if, what if you're a church of 40 people and you got a guy that plays guitar and he gets up front and, he's, and he does all right? And then, you know, you grow to, and I, I don't know, you grow to 60, 80 people and another great person shows up and wants to also be involved. Right. But you've only got room for one guitar player or, or you want, you know, what do you do in that situation? Well, if you... For the this, for this people leading small churches out there and doing awesome stuff, like, right. those are hard things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's in a, in a church of 150 people, it's all relationship. Absolutely. So these aren't slots. These are like... Absolutely. You know, so there is, a, and he's right, there is a very legitimate fear mm-hmm. that comes with, I'm going to hurt this person's feelings. This and person you might, and you probably yes, probably will. will. Yeah. And should you still have the conversation? Sometimes. If, if you feel like, and, and this is where, you know, like I said, in some places I agree that there, there's wisdom in what he's saying. If you feel like the um, you've got the mission of the church, right, is to make disciples. The weekend service certainly plays a part in that. And for a lot of us, it's the biggest part. Right. Um, but, but then you have to ask, okay, uh, how do we make disciples in our specific context? Right? Whether that's with 40 people, whether that's 60, 80, 10,000. Right? You're asking these questions all the time. And, and there are scenarios where I imagine that you let this person, the mediocre guitar player, stay there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then I can imagine other scenarios where you say, listen, uh, we actually could really use you over here. 
this person i think coming in has some more chops in the guitar area and if you'd be okay with that you can either stay and learn but we're going to put him in charge of this thing or um, um we have this spot for you over here when you're in a family 150 people that stuff could possibly work right but i, I don't know that there's a universal rule that says your church is mediocre if you still let the mediocre guy participate true that's what i'm that's what i'm saying the va- so go ahead well, I was going to say, and, and this scenario, I think, doesn't necessarily happen as often as this article maybe points out. Usually, uh, there's a lack of volunteers and a lack of people. And if somebody new would volunteer, probably the person up there would be like, very <laughs> willing to share the role or yeah, rarely. Yeah. I mean, it, it, or it's like me at my church. The sound isn't that great. Right. I can run sound. Right. I don't want to do it. If right. I went and volunteered, I'm sure the guy would would very much be like, "Yeah, that'd be awesome." Right, but I, but I, it's I just not like, I'm not there. Right, but it's not like you're sitting there, and you're you're um you de- you've declared the church mediocre because right. it sounds bad. right. No, no. I mean, you're you're operating on a completely different scorecard. Is Absolutely. my point, and right. and this scorecard is bad. <laughs> yeah, there. It's true. There's truth to the scorecard. Absolutely, but. When you when you talk about the abuses of the Catholic Church and the way some of the mega churches have operated and, and the power uh, abuses of power or whatever that have been done in them, you have to begin to call into question. And I'm not saying that stuff doesn't happen in small churches; it happens in small churches. Oh, but even small churches make the same assumptions that big churches do. Right. If we just had more people on the weekend, if we just had a better service, our church would be better. If we just you know spent more money on stuff then, dude, our church would grow. And that's what the church growth people have been telling us for years, right? The weekend right. service, boom. The issue is when when all of that, when most of your energy goes that direction, and I love weekend services. This is what I do. I love them. I'm happy there. I love teaching in them. If someone offered me a job to teach to 10,000 people in a weekend service, I'd probably take it uh, because I love that. I love that. But I keep running smack into the fact that what our churches need now is not more strength, not more excellence, not more riches. What we need is repentance, and we need lament, and we need sorrow, and we need counseling, and we need to come along victims, right? We we need proclamation of the gospel unadorned from all of the trinkets and the, the, the things that we dress Jesus up as in our big attractional churches, right? That's what we need. Absolutely. That's what the American church needs. It doesn't need this. Because if your point, if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, yeah, we got to do a better weekend service, in light of all of the stuff that is exploding around us, I just want to suggest you, we're missing it completely, and we're proving why the church is so irrelevant and anemic. And what's so interesting is in this culture of everybody's trying to reach the millennials right. from business to to you know, school to whatever, you just described exactly what the millennials want, and exactly. yet. And yet we're missing it. I mean, they well, want I, when people say, yeah, when people say, how do you meet? How do you reach millennials? And my answer is always, you don't try to. Just hit rewind on, <laughs> on your last minute and a half little rant. I mean, seriously, <laughs> right? I mean, that's every every company. It's like, you know, where'd you buy these products from? Where animals abused? Where this? Where that? Whatever. Right. Are the questions, which is the exact same thing that you just said about the church. Right. See, which the is church... so interesting that we're not. We're right. Not, we're not just like, oh yeah, duh. Like, did I say duh? You did. That's a great word. You did. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. But it's so interesting that we're not going down those paths and we're missing it. And we exactly. think that it's it's more louder guitars, 
Right. It's just the same. And that's old, what bugged me like most. Like you said, 1990s. Yes. And that's what bugs me most about this. Yeah. It, it, the person that wrote it is a great person. Absolutely. I love and respect him mm-hmm. from a distance. I mean, I don't know him. Um, and I've, I've benefited from his writing. It was the juxtaposition of that article with all of Absolutely. the bad news that got me so upset. The church should be a place of confession, a place of repentance. Like the church needs to repent publicly. We need to lament publicly. Like it's not like the Pope today came out and was acknowledging this, this scandalous report. And that's the start at least, you know, mm-hmm. that now this is public. It's not being hidden. I mean, as far as we know, um, that's a huge deal. I mean, what if MacArthur comes out and just says, you know what? You're absolutely right. Right. Or what, what if Bill Hybels instead of denying things says, you know, however he would say it, but yeah, I, I absolutely am the biggest sinner in the room. Absolutely. I mean, what if the churches became places of that? And, um, and that's, that I think is the bigger point. Like, yes, we proclaim Jesus, but how do we proclaim Jesus in today's world? Well, we certainly don't do it boasting of our strength. Now I would argue you don't, you don't do that anywhere. That's, that's not how you build big churches, right? I mean, when you read Paul, um, Paul was all about boasting in his weakness. And, and the more I've experienced weakness of mental illness or my own darkness or my own whatever, right? I've seen how crappy I am and how frail and how broken and how whatever. There's power in, in, in ministering from that and not having to have the killer show and the coolest thing and the top tier whatever's. You know right. what I mean? No, I, I absolutely. And that's where the, the church in the developing world is flourishing, whereas the American church is just not. The The more marginalized the American church becomes, uh, and the more we think that this is the issue, that our services are mediocre and our production's bad and we're not we're not attracting top-level talent. I mean, I just, I think Jesus is offended by that. I really do. I just don't think that's how he builds his church. Not his real one. Like we, we can build teaching and worship events like nobody's business, right? I mean, we're killer at that. Right. But I don't know that that's doing the deep Jesus work that he's a fan of. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. And I I know I've probably offended everybody somewhere along the line. You've offended me. (laughs) And that's just what we're going to, we're going to, we're going to leave it at that. (laughs) Oh man. Well, brothers and sisters, so what do we do? Like, what do you, are you closing it up or you got, I was going to, I was going to close it. Okay. I was going to start wrapping. So, so what do you, so let's just, let's end. Instead oh, look of ending at you go. dark. Like, what no, do you, Empire what Strikes you, Back into dark. Right. Right. For those of you. Infinity sci-fi. War. Infinity War into dark. So like, you, you, I think about the dark night into dark. So I come from big church events, all those things. Yes, and they're and, wonderful. And they're wonderful. And they'll and always great. have a place. And I put great energy into all those things. But when I think about the, the pastor of 40 or the guy just starting out or the guy with a call or, or gal right. with a call um, Good gal. to, to do Good something. Including, who, including who, of the gals. Who starts out. Like when you're, when you're going up against this pressure to have a drummer on Sunday or to, to you know just get to a point where you can – you know, not work two jobs to also pay for your, you know, to be a pastor. Like, how do you, like, what, how do you move forward? How do you live out um, the dichotomy between these two, these two processes that are going on in Columbus, Ohio, in Los Angeles, in Austin, Texas, wherever you might be. Right. Like, 
How do you encourage those guys who are who are getting beat up and it's Great hard and I Great can't question. pay my bills and I'm right and this call that God put on my life kind of sucks. Right. Like what like when you see this, all I gotta do is put these seven things in, hire some people and and I can have a paycheck this week. Right. And some those are real things, right? Absolutely real things. So what what do you how do you end like what do you, what's the what's the nugget? What's the positive? Okay. Against all this Okay. Dark? Huh? All right. I'll give I want to know. I'll give you some nuggets. Okay. All right. First of all, a story. Okay. Um, I was a part of a church in Southern California that was called Rock Harbor. All right. Right. And Rock Harbor is still going. It's phenomenal community. And um, one of the things that happened was we exploded in all of the church growth ways. Like we, we had five services on a weekend. And I mean, it was like hip, young, cool. And then there's me. Um, neither of those things, right? Overweight guy. But you had incredible talent in preaching. Yes. A, unbelievable true, gift. True. Uh, agreed. No question. I will not deny that. Uh, but we also had incredible artists and worship leaders. I mean, it was there, it was like this beautiful alchemy of right place, right time, God's right. favor. Boom. So the thing grew like crazy. A guy named Alan Hirsch showed up uh, in the middle of our... Um, in the middle of our growth and he had was just, he'd just published a book called the forgotten ways. And it was the very beginning of the whole missional movement against attractional church, right? It was the missional versus attractional church. And we were out to lunch and, and I was so Todd and I, my, my buddy Todd and I were so frustrated with him because it was all dark. And I'm like, so what do you want us to do? You just want us to blow this up? I mean, is that the answer? You just want us to blow this big attractional event up? Because God seems to be using it. Mm -hmm. So is that the answer? He said, no. Just make the other pieces as strong as you make the weekend services. And that was like, whoa. So we started working. I mean, we started emphasizing groups. And, and now Rock Harbor is very much a missional organization. Um, still has killer weekend stuff but that's only one part of its whole thing right right so the answer isn't just blowing up the whole paradigm uh, I, I mean if you're if you're the head of a huge church and you're like hey god seems to be doing stuff the answer isn't we'll just blow that up you're bad right but but it's it's to more publicly embrace the the idea that there's a different scorecard um, and, um, and I think as that, as that happened, so, so I, my, if I were leading a large church, we would be talking about sexual abuse. We would have services offered in our community for people who've been abused by clergy. We would have, um, we would have, um, uh, seminars, counselors, we would have loads of people like investing and available to the, like we, and we would do public repentance you know, about some of this stuff. We would examine our own scenarios because I've abused power. I, we would examine our own governance models and, and assumptions, right? You would just, you would engage in this deep reflective period where you would, you would begin to not keep track of things the way that we used to keep track of them. Like that would be one of the fruit, one of the fruits of repentance is that, okay, numbers are great, right? And budget's great, but those things have driven the conversation for far too long. If I were if I were sitting with church planters, I would say, listen, the temptation because I planted a church and the first thing we did was we got a weekend service going. Right, right. 
Now, we did some things before that. There was a podcast that helped DNA. There were meetings. There was training. Like, we did a whole bunch of, like, DNA stuff before we launched a weekend service. Right. But the weekend service was, like, the official launch the of launch. the thing. Right. So, for us, um, we I, I, I would do some of that differently. I, I think that... Um, I think that every minute we spent like developing a, a, a core team, every minute we spent of discipling and wrestling and asking big questions was incredible. But but there was also a sense that, hey, we to pull off a service, we need a whole bunch of people. So you're planning an event. Um, and and again, it's it's that's not bad and it needs to be done, and I think it needs to be done well, but it's a, but it's like, is that the is that really the focus? Uh, that we need to be having going into this thing. So if I were with church planners, um, I'm a fan of of some of what uh, a friend of mine, John Mark Comer, um, and a friend of his named Dave Lomas. They're they're doing, they're they're focusing on really practice based faith, and they're using their weekend services in service to much bigger things. I'm like, ooh, that's really interesting. So I'd have them talk with Dave, or I'd have them talk with John Mark. I'm seeing people who are building like we, there's a church in columbus um that i spoke for that that the way they what am i oh am i squeaking they thank you kevin you that the way they keep they keep scores they count missional communities that are being birthed uh it's called c3 church in columbus and so they're a church plant but they don't count what they're counting isn't the number of people that come on a weekend they're counting the number of missional communities that come out of that so literally, people will get up and say, like, hey, I'm from MC6. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sounds Mission Impossible. Right. Like. But, but yeah, yeah. But, but it's, it's super cool yeah, because no. you can tell what they value. Because, I mean, if, if you're measuring your Sunday morning attendance as your, as your scorecard, I, I would imagine everybody's pretty depressed these days because... Well, not everybody. Not everybody. Right. Not everybody. There's, there's some killer, but... but, but it, I mean, no one's coming to Sundays, but they're still engaged. Yeah. Sundays are decreasingly relevant mm -hmm. to a, a decreasing number of people especially if you're live stream um what was that number three doesn't suck right yeah right um and and i think there is something to the live stream thing i really do oh, i do too but and and he's right i mean again i hate beating up on it but it's not it's not just the article itself it's all the assumptions that i've bought into and and would have argued that I just I now I just repudiate entirely, and I think it's because of some of these assumptions that you're seeing the abuses of power that we're seeing. Okay. Now now that's you know, and 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 it, and that's irregardless. <laughs> is that a word? No, irregardless is not a word, right? Mm -hmm. That's regardless um, of size. Right. So it doesn't matter if you're 40 people; there can still be unhealthy power dynamics. Absolutely. Right? In the same way there could be unhealthy power dynamics in a seminary or in a church of 25,000 or whatever. Right. Um, it's just that the the article for me just felt so thin and felt so hollow to what the real thing that's happening in the church is, mm -hmm. which is the confession and repentance and the restoration and reconciliation. So I just see, I see the church now as it's to be this minister of reconciliation that is going to be so different from just a sermon platform venue. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I just, Absolutely. I just think there's, and sermons have a place. Of course they have a place, but they're in service to something bigger. 
And the same way the event needs to be in service to something bigger. And everybody would say, oh, yeah, our event is in service to something bigger. Because, look, here's here's our home base. And we want to take people to, to, to first base. And then get them to second base and third base. And they hear the classes they go to. And here's how they're mobilized. And the analogy we used was like a funnel. The weekend service is the big end of the funnel. And, that, and that's true. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's not reflected in uh, a similar commitment of resources and man and woman power into the other parts of the church, you know, that are equally as important, if not more so. Correct. So, so the nugget for me is one nugget is change the scorecard entirely. And I would expose them to people who have done that. Okay. Both in existing churches and have planted churches that have different scorecards. Second thing I would do is I would have them think about money differently. That, that I think, my personal opinion, is uh, ch- churches at some point are going to lose their tax-exempt status. They'll have to pay taxes. Gifts to churches will no longer be tax-deductible. When that happens, um, churches can no longer rely on donations. So I don't think it's wise to just rely on donations anymore. I think the churches have to be very innovative, participate in shared spaces, uh, pursue investors. I mean, I, I think churches just have to be a, a much different animal than just passing a plate on the weekends and saying, well, whatever we got is whatever we got. You know, I'm talking about churches yeah. owning CrossFits uh, that they that they rent, that they lease back out on a- Coffee shops. Coffee, yes, Crimson Cup. Jesus died and it was Crimson Blood. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just got fired, I think. Crimson Cup, it's like the communion, the, the cup of his blood, bro. <laughs> come on, come on. Yes. Did I do that like you do? Come on. Come on. Yeah. Uh, but the bigger nugget for me, and this is what I've learned over the course of five years of, of being overweight, being depressed, being anxious, failing in so many ways. Whoa. Oh, yes. Whoa. Oh, yes. And just, it just wanted to say, whoa. Well, and just that was big. It, well, no. And just seeing the darkness yeah. of lust and pride and greed in my no, own absolutely. heart. Absolutely. The biggest takeaway is, uh, is the, the world doesn't need our strength any longer. The world needs our weakness. The world needs our weakness. Because they're seeing it. Oh I mean, yes, that's they're the thing. It. It's like they're seeing it. They know yes. it's there. And let's we're all getting lumped in to yes. these Twitter highlights. So if this right. is happening right. at Willow Creek and we're all Willow Creek Association yep. churches, yep. we're lumped. Why aren't we capable of the exact same darkness? Mm-hmm. And all of us are to some degree. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But we've built the church on strength. Yeah. At least our narrow definitions of it, rather than on weakness. So in the in the church of Jesus, top tier talent is a contradiction, because the last thing you want to do is um, define top tier talent as people who are really good at what they do, regardless of their character, right? Which is which is kind of what we've done to some degree or another, well, right? If that, but, but no, it's say, true. say that again, say that again. People who are really good at what they do, regardless of their character. Yep. Okay. That's that's. Well, because I mean, that's deep. I mean, that's big. But you know, the platform absolutely is toxic. I'm, I'm totally agreeing with you. I just wanted you to say it twice. Well, I can say it more than that. No, I, I think you're right. So I don't know. I, I I'm ranting. I don't know why I'm in a bad, angry mood. But but this really it really got me. Like, because I've I, I've been in that world and mm-hmm. I've done that world and I see where that world goes, and I I'm just I I just think it's dead. I mean, I really do. And I think it needs to be publicly killed. I think it needs to be repented of. 
you know, because there's still people, of course, that will go to big churches and here's the excitement and here's our worship service and blah, 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 blah. Um, but I, I think 10 years from now, it's just, we're not going to have as many mega churches. You know, I think there's a big financial thing coming where boomers are going to die off and giving's going to go down and, and millennials and others aren't going to countenance the spending of millions of dollars on property and facilities that often sit empty. I just don't, I just think there's a big wave coming just pragmatically. Yeah. But, but morally look at what's happening, right? The waves here now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so what, what, what would it look like for the church to lead in public lament and repentance and confession? So I don't have answers beyond that. I just think, I think the world, I think God, first of all, it doesn't have, you know, doesn't need our strength as much as he needs our weakness. And you just see throughout the scriptures, the things that are truly of God are usually done by people who are broken and frail. You know, they would never have been, none of the disciples would have been considered top tier talent. You know, Paul maybe, but Paul was so top tier, um, he he was killing Christians. Right. Right. And so he had to be completely broken and humble Absolutely. before that, before, but, but he was very educated and very smart and all of those sorts of things. Um, but, I, but just what Paul says, I mean, not many of you are top tier talent guys. Not many of you were. And right. yet... God's God's grace is shown in the middle of that. So if I'm a youth pastor in a church of 40 people, I have 13 kids in my youth group and I don't pull off a very good event. Okay, so what's it what would it be like to lose the event? Right? Like to just get out of the event business and focus on doing something else. You know, what's that like? I don't right. know. No, I just I, think I our totally agree. our imaginations have been held captive because of money. Because people give money to movement, and they give money to big and large and bold, um, and uh, you know, when you when you're when you're in vocational ministry, you have a financial incentive to keep people happy. And entertainment, I want to be entertained. Yeah. When I, when I go somewhere, so money our, and entertainment, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what we spend our money on. Yes. So the fear is, if I don't entertain, I'm going to lose butts and seats. Right. So anyway, all right, I'm wrapping up. Yep. Um, let, let this be said of Kevin number two. Um, he's moving in the direction to become Kevin (laughs) 1.5. No. Or 2.9. No. No. Let this be said of Kevin number two. He's the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him because he can take it because he's not a hero. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector, a dark knight. <laughs> wow. Whoa. I just quick. I really want to put that as my bio. Okay. I love that. I love that. All right. I, anyway, I don't know. I thought that was funny. But here's what I here's what I here's what I got from Kevin, and I'm assuming I'm gonna get from all of you after that joke. Yeah. Anyway. All right, my brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace in these days. Until next time, friends, thanks for listening. Bye.